advertising is complementing everything else you're doing when those consumers are not on your website. Welcome to Honest E-Commerce, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer, and I believe running a direct-to-consumer brand does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. On this podcast, we interview founders and experts who are putting in the work and creating real results. I also share my own insights from running our top Shopify consultancy, Electric Eye. We cut the fluff in favor of facts to help you grow your e-commerce business. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honesty Commerce. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And today, we're welcoming to the show Brendan Hughes. Brendan is the CEO of Optily, a software solution that combines proven digital ad strategies with innovative technology to enable marketers to accelerate their e-commerce store growth. And one thing that I actually absolutely loved with... Uh, with Brennan's uh, biography that he shared with me uh, that I read just a minute ago is Brennan Hughes has been doing e-commerce and digital since 1997. So take me back to way back when, when you first kind of cut your teeth in this industry. What what was going on back then? Where'd you, where'd you kind of get started? Yeah, um, I was in college and, you know, starting to do Nixers kind of either for kind of uh, people I knew or for kind of college project. The first website I ever built was um, I went to Trinity College in Dublin and uh, built the the homepage for them and then built kind of other kind of microsites around the place. Um, so and we were building very simple kind of things back then, hand coding and HTML um, and tr- using things like um, you remember Macromedia Flash and Director and building out Shockwave videos and animation. So it was, um, yeah, it was a completely different world back then. Uh, Dreamweaver was pretty cool tool that had emerged on the scene and was making our lives easier for building websites. So yeah, uh, well, long before WordPress and Shopify and <laughs> all of these. Yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was around when Dreamweaver came out, and it was, it was wild. Remember, uh, mm. when I was younger, I was playing around with Dreamweaver and like PHP based websites, and you'd get templates off of it was before Reddit, like IRC channels and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was, it was a massive innovation at the time because everybody was hand coding, right? So every website that existed was hand coded, and we were all learning HTML and JavaScript. You still needed it with Dreamweaver, you still needed to be able to go into the back end and, and, you know, and the, the code view and do things. And to tweak the style sheets, etc. Um, and yeah, then it all just became redundant very quickly. Oh, absolutely. So after kind of diving in and kind of just experimenting in the world, where did you kind of settle kind of in the e-commerce space? Uh, and, and what was your first kind of real job in the industry? Yeah. Um, so I, I worked for quite a number of years in insurances um, and and gaming. So gaming, gambling. Um, uh, so most of my career, I was on the buy side, right? What we call it, which is buying media, um, uh, being the e-commerce guy in a traditional business and in doing what we now call digital transformation, which is turning it into a digital first kind of company. Um, so I, I then switched and I worked in, um, one of the, actually at the time was the large, the world's largest poker affiliate. So, um, at a time when online poker was still illegal in the US, it was legal everywhere else in the world. Um, and, uh, so we were on, the, I was on the other side of the fence, really finding audiences and bring them to kind of poker operators like, you know, full tilt poker and poker stars. Um, and, uh, and before I joined Optivity, and we get onto that in a little bit, but I, I worked with a large news publisher, so a media publisher. So I was actually selling ads 
on the other side. So, so I've spent most of my career either buying or selling advertising. Um, and really when I, uh, when I worked in the publisher, I realized how intransparent and how, how, um, how burdensome the whole ecosystem had become, right? Because, um, if you were buying advertising, um, then you were paying a certain fee to access certain audiences. Um, there was a massive gap, um, especially in programmatic advertising between what a publisher was then able to offer and the price they were getting paid. Um, so I became a bit obsessed with, um, uh, with how murky the, um, the ecosystem had become and how many middlemen and tech providers and solutions were in the middle. Um, and then meanwhile, the big platforms, um, you know, the Googles and the Facebooks and now the Snapchats and the TikToks and the Pinterests are all kind of, kind of, uh, dominating kind of the, the world. Um, so when I encountered, uh, I, I, Optily has been around since 2011, mostly working with large media agencies, helping them with automating workflow around kind of, um, buying social media, in particular Facebook and Instagram. But the guys had built, um, some really clever kit, um, that was creating a bridge between the Facebook and Google worlds, right? So getting those two big guys working together in a way that they'd never do themselves. Um, I met the co-founders of the company. I really liked what they were doing and, uh, and jumped in to kind of help them kind of, kind of commercialize that and bring it to market. Um, and so our proposition really is for an e-commerce brand, um, who is living in the big platforms, the Googles, the Facebooks and the other big platforms is uh, unifying data in a way that uh, the platforms will never allow you to do, but then driving insights and automation on the back of that. So based on a unified view, um, rooted in an e-commerce strategy, so a funnel marketing strategy, and then starting to provide recommendations of, hey, spend a little bit more money on this campaign um, because it's you know, delivering better results at the top of the funnel. And then with our automation, we 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 make those changes. So we take money from Google and we give it to Facebook, or we take money from Facebook and, and give it to Google. Um, so that uh, the we're, we're kind of playing one off the other, right? And that's that's the sweet spot. So um, that's that's where we try and make a difference. Absolutely. Uh, with all of our clients uh, that we're we're working with, you know, it's definitely those are the two biggest players in the space right now. Facebook and Google are definitely the big drivers in paid media, especially with prospecting. Um, so you touched on it just a second ago, a, a little bit, but I know we're going to dive into it. So let's just let's just do it now. Let's talk about you know the three step funnel uh, for kind of those that are just starting to get into. Uh, paid acquisition and getting into you know prospecting and how like the funnels work and and kind of what your goal should be at each step. So uh, I'll I'll kind of hand it over to you and let you kind of get started wherever you'd like. Yeah, um, obviously stop me because I'll, I'll I'll keep going. But um, the 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 reason um, take a step back, right? So so the funnel is is kind of one of these. And constructs that's been around since, um, some young media exec in 1898 in Philadelphia invented the AIDA funnel that we're kind of all familiar with. And there's a lot of research has gone on to kind of debunk the funnel and say, look, you know, it can take, um, you know, uh, many, many touch points for an individual to make a purchase. How can we control that? How can we configure that? And what I, what we step back to is all of the, the kind of the research around kind of consumer purchase behaviors, they all align around three or four stages that we all go through um, on a purchase journey, regardless of whether that purchase happens 
in an instant in a single session or you know so it's an impulse purchase or it happens over kind of days weeks or months and the first stage is typically you know I need to identify a problem um, that I want to solve or a, a need that I want to fulfill or a desire that I want to satisfy. And I'm either consciously or unconsciously aware of that, right? I, be, I, I become aware of that somehow. Um, and bef- unless that happens, then stage two doesn't happen, which is I start to uh, undertake research um, and, and evaluation, looking at my options, information gathering. And if it's in a single session, that's leveraging you know, the frame of reference that I already have because I already know about this category or this type of product. And um, so I'm information gathering, looking at a website uh, or looking at an ad that I'm seeing kind of in front of me. Um, and and the final kind of stage again that we all tend to go through is uh, is the actual decision, right? So um, actually making the decision to purchase and um, the behavioral architects undertook some research with 300,000 um, in-market shoppers and identified kind of five or six, what they called cognitive biases that influence that and heavily influence that. So for example, the scarcity bias, you know, the, the more scarce that something becomes, the less stock that's available, the more desirable it becomes, right? And, you know, things like social proof or authority bias, you know, we, we listen to other people and we trust other people. Um, the power of free. So, you know, if something is available, but actually there's something free that comes with it or there's some extra, extra thing that's kind of available now, then that kind of drives. Um, so when we are constructing an ad strategy, right? Um, then where we see advertising, the role of advertising is to support what we call your owned and operated activities in e-commerce and digital marketing. So um, typically the people that we would um, engage with around optimization of ad strategies is, you know, they're very much involved in conversion rate optimization. So making sure the website is working an awful lot better, you know, and driving up the conversion rates. Um, We would work with them or they would typically be, you know, um, heavily engaged in kind of CRM, you know, email marketing, SMS marketing, um, understanding the segmenting, the database, right? So advertising is complementing everything else you're doing when those consumers are not on your website. They are somewhere else and you're paying to engage it. Right. So, um, and there's again, four or five things that come in at each stage of the funnel. Right. So there's creative and creative is, um, typically the most impactful thing, um, on the success of your advertising campaign. So creative and copy. Um, there's audiences, right? And aligning audience strategies with kind of creative. There's the platforms and placements. So where are you, um, where are you positioning your ads and what particular placements in the various platforms? Um, we get into goals and metrics, right? So, uh, what are you actually measuring at each stage of the funnel? And um, what are the specific objectives? And, uh, and, you know, and, and how are you measuring and where are you measuring? And then there's budget, right? So how much am I spending at each stage of the funnel? So if we, if I take you back through, let's start at the, at the very top of the funnel, right? <laughs> so, so, um, you know, at the top of the funnel, uh, actually my own, my team says to me, Brendan, we're not really doing when we recommend to people in e-commerce top of funnel work. What we're actually doing is we're intercepting the, you know, the middle of the top of the funnel, right? Because what, 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 what we're finding, what we're going to the big platforms, the big ad platforms, we're saying, Hey, find those people who are in market for our product, but are not actively searching. Okay. And um, so we're not very often e-commerce brands 
are not comfortable spending huge amounts of money building markets and creating markets, right? We're kind of allowing the platforms to help us find people who are already in market. And um, so, for example, we'd be using a broad lookalike kind of audiences from our from our um, existing customer base or visitors to our website, etc., or interest-based audiences or purchase intent audiences. And what we generally see successful direct-to-consumer brands doing is um, using video, short-form video in particular. And why that? Because, hey, we can build audiences very cost-effectively. So in the US market, um, we can get somebody, an in-market consumer, to watch probably 15 seconds of our video on Facebook or Instagram or any of the platforms, probably for less than one cent, you know, um, for that 15-second view. And so... On a per human basis, that's probably one of the cheapest ways to find people who are engaging with our brand story, right? And if somebody swipes through our video after one second, we kind of, we, we kind of ignore them and say, right, they're not really that engaged. Whereas if somebody watches 15 seconds of our video, sorry, at this stage of the funnel, what we often say is the product is not the hero, right? The consumer is the hero or the, the problem we're solving is the hero, right? So we're telling, um, it's a much more emotional engagement. So very often it'll be, um, we work with a lot of pet brands and, uh, you know, in the, um, at the top of the funnel, the, the video won't be, you know, about the flea collar, which is maybe, you know, going to stop the itching and the scratching. Um, it'll be about the cute puppies and how much fun they're having when they're not kind of annoyed and frustrated, right? So, so we're putting the, the character, the human at the, at the center. Um, and we're using that video to build audiences as cost effectively as possible. Um, we're measuring, um, engagement with our video. So cost per view through, but also with a secondary metric of, click through rates. So, so which, which ads and which audiences are more likely, um, to one, watch the entire video and then to kind of drive click throughs. Okay. But click through is not our primary metric. What we're then doing is we're taking that audience, um, and we're nurturing it through the next stage of the funnel. And for us, the next stage of the funnel is, um, they're in research and evaluation mode. They're maybe coming from the top of the funnel or maybe, um, uh, we might be using custom intent audiences in, um, in, in YouTube and search and, and saying, you know, people who are in market searching in, in, in Google, but maybe over on YouTube that, you know, we're showing them a video, which is maybe a little bit longer. Maybe it's a 30 second. Maybe it's actually highlighting features and benefits of our product in the Facebook, Instagram world. We love to use carousels because each frame is almost like the, the store frame of a storyboard where we can highlight different feature and benefit of our, of our, of our offering. Um, at this stage of the funnel, we're typically driving traffic, right? But the traffic, so we're trying to find the cheapest traffic um, and drive it to a website. But with, again, with the qualitative kicker that it has a high propensity to convert. So at this stage of the funnel, we will see conversions. We'll see, we'll be driving people to our landing pages um, uh, and we'll be seeing them purchase. But if we're getting, for example, you know, an overall return on ad spend of, let's say it's 10 overall, right? You know, so for every $1 we're spending, we're getting 10 across all of our campaigns. We're getting $10 of, of revenue that we can attribute back to our advertising. Then maybe at the mid stage of the funnel, we're getting it between a two and a four X ROAS. So, so it's a much lower ROAS than the overall. Um, and, uh, at the lower end of the funnel, then, right? We're, we're really talking to people who are at the point where and um, they've demonstrated purchase intent either on our website um, or through engaging with our channels. 
or through search. Um, so we're very often using very product-driven um, ads. So we obviously Google Shopping kicks in here. We're using dynamic product ads in the Facebook, Instagram world. Um, and all of the platforms, you know, in Snap and Pinterest, so we're, we're actually putting the product back in front of people um, that they were interested in. And we have very strong calls to action here. We're not in the learn mode anymore. We're in the shop now. We're introducing scarcity and urgency. We've got strong offers in place because these are people who probably um, uh, spent time on our website, researched our products, maybe added a product to the basket, but haven't converted and now we're saying, okay, what do we need to do to get you across the line? And um, the other cohort that comes in here at the bottom of the funnel, you know, are people who've purchased from us previously. So we're integrating uh, our email lists, our, our CRM data and our customer segment data. Um, and we're getting that data back into the ad platforms and speaking to the customers at the right time about the products that we believe they might be interested in. Um, sometimes people say to me, why would I spend money with Facebook and Google to talk to my own customers because I have their email address. And what we, the way we think about this is, yes, you're going to spend money, but you're actually not going to spend an awful lot of money because you have a very defined set of customers that will be relatively small compared to the universe of, of, of audiences. And you're giving them a very specific message. And they're seeing the same message in their emails that they're getting from you. They're seeing the same message in when they go onto the web and they on the various platforms that they're on. Um, and then when they click through on their website, they're seeing the same message and the same offer on, on the website. So so they're you're hitting them in as many different places as possible in a very cost-effective way um, because of that. So what and the reason we do this, right? So I'll sort of I'll finish up now, Chase, on, on, on my ramble, but um is most of the clients who come to us, right, when they're in e-commerce, and um, we all believe in the funnel in some way, where we everyone, every marketer kind of kind of gets it. But um, uh, by and large, most of us are stuck in the bottom of the funnel, right? We've, we're we're doing all of the, the smart shopping campaigns and we're doing all the product ads, and um, and the reason people now go to somebody like us or go to another organization or marketing agencies they're struggling to scale they've hit a plateau the it has become inefficient or they're competing head to head and sometimes with their own partner retailers if they're a direct consumer brand and it's not scaling for them and time and again what we find is that when you invest a little bit more in the middle funnel and then maybe in the upper funnel all of a sudden the lower funnel becomes much more efficient and actually your overall funnel becomes much more efficient as well. And um, so I, I guess the final message on it is what we're trying to do is to is nurture people through your funnel, right? Through the, 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 the platforms that you can control and the ad placements that you can control so that they spend less time researching and comparing you on a just on a pure price basis with others in the market who have maybe kind of similar products. If you're struggling with scaling your sales, maybe Electric Eye can help. Our team has helped our clients generate millions of dollars in additional revenue through our unique brand scaling framework. You can learn more about our agency at electriceye.io. That's E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Y-E.io. Mesa is the Shopify expansion pack to level up your brand. By turning all your internet-connected apps into your business epicenter, Mesa can lighten your workload and tame the day-to-day chaos of running your store. Join other successful brands that have learned how to balance clever workflows with a solid infrastructure to get more done without more overhead. 
Whether you need to order data in Google Sheets, products on Etsy, or customers added to HubSpot, Mesa has you covered. Peace of mind is right around the corner when all your apps are working seamlessly together. To put it quite simply, Mesa is a better way to work. Search Mesa, that's M-E-S-A, in the Shopify App Store and download the app today. Is your store holiday ready? Now is the time to make sure you and your team are prepared for the busy season ahead. Gorgeous, an omni-channel help desk built for e-commerce has machine learning functionality that takes the pressure off small support teams and gives them the tools to manage a large number of inquiries at scale, especially during the holiday season. Gorgeous combines all your different communication channels like email, SMS, social media, live chat, and even phone into one platform and gives you an organized view of all your customer inquiries. Their powerful functionality can save your support team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. Merchants can close tickets faster than ever with the help of pre-written responses integrated with customer data to increase the overall efficiency of customer support. Their built-in automations also free up time for support agents to give better answers to complex product-related questions, providing next-level support, which helps increase sales, brand loyalty, and recognition. Eric Bandholtz, the founder of Beard Brand, says, We're a seven-figure business, and we have essentially one person on customer support and experience. It's impossible to do it without tools such as Gorgeous to help us innovate. Learn how to level up your customer support by speaking to their team. Visit gorgeous.grsm.io slash honest. Mention this podcast when you sign up to get two months free. That's g-o-r-g-i-a-s.grsm.io slash h-o-n-e-s-t. Our partner Rewind can protect your Shopify store with automated backups of your most important data. Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, and collaborators gone bad. It's like having your very own magic undo button. Trusted by over 100,000 businesses, from side hustles to the biggest online retailers like Nix, Gatorade, and Movement Watches. Best of all, respond to any of their welcome emails and mention this podcast, Honest E-Commerce, and get your first month absolutely free. Getting an online business off the ground isn't easy. So if you find yourself working late, tackling a to-do list that's a mile long with your fifth cup of coffee by your side, remember, great email doesn't have to be complicated. That's what Klaviyo is for. It's the email and SMS platform built to help e-commerce brands earn more money by creating genuine customer relationships. Once you set up your free Klaviyo account, you can start sending beautiful branded messages in minutes thanks to drag and drop design templates and built-in guidance. And with e-commerce specific recommendations and insights, you can keep growing your business as you go. Get started with a free account at klaviyo.com slash honest. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash H-O-N-E-S-T. All right, Brendan. I didn't let you. Uh, I, I didn't want to interrupt you, and I was taking notes during the whole or the whole thing. So I got a couple of questions for you. And the first thing, I guess, it's more of a statement. Is I really like how you pointed out that with modern, you know, the data that we have through all these modern platforms is we're not really doing, you know, prospecting with cold traffic anymore because we can get a lot more targeted. And so I, I really enjoyed hearing that from you. And I'm going to be stealing that and using that when I'm talking to clients in the future. Um, but I guess I, what I wanted to point out for our audience was uh, how that how to differ, differentiate it so they can understand what we're talking about here. So uh, historically, let's say that you did a magazine 
campaign, right? Uh, traditional print media. And you did a magazine article or a magazine uh, advertisement about, let's use dog treats again, about dog treats. And you're putting it out. Obviously, you you know you can get a little more targeted with going putting it in a dog magazine, or maybe you're putting it in a more broad audience type of magazine. But you have no idea that the person picking up that magazine is interested in buying those dog treats or not. With you know Facebook and Google now, you can do intent-based search. You can do look-alike audiences where it's like, well, based upon all the statistic data uh, about this person, uh, they're just like these 1,800 people that have bought this product before. So they're probably going to want to buy this product. So it's definitely... We are going... You know, Maybe we're shortening the funnel these days with all this technology. But it's it, it a cool concept. And, and you're the first person to point it out to me. Yeah. Um, no, it is. And it, it's the opportunity... Because these platforms have so much data and whether, you know, it may be in time that gets restricted, but for now, um, because they're pixels or the conversion APIs or maybe even Google because they have all of the search intent data, um, it's there, it's available to us. And it means that as, you know, um, as young brands or as kind of brands that are kind of trying to make a breakthrough, we don't need to spend a huge amount of money with spray and pray, like, you know, um, spending money in the hope that people might be interested in our category and our, in our product. Um, the platform is going to do a lot of that heavy lifting for us and it can be much more cost effective. Um, so, uh, yeah. So yeah. Um, feel free to take, to take that. I actually, I, I, I think I've, I've heard it described a bit like, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're in the destructive marketing space, right? Because other people maybe have done a lot of work and blood done the heavy lifting and we're kind of coming in. Yeah, in the middle of the top of the funnel or the bottom of the top of the funnel, right? And uh, I'm trying to intercept those purchase journeys. Yeah. And uh, something else that you highlighted on was, why do I want to retarget through Facebook and Instagram or Google or any of these other kind of uh, social or uh, or search platforms uh, when I have this person's email or phone number? And you know everything you said, I 100% agreed on. And I just kind of wanted to double down on it. It's like, you need mm. to... Talk to your customers where they are. Oftentimes, you know, even if you have their email, they're probably not checking your newsletters half the time. Like, if you can get in front of them where they're hanging out, maybe that you know Instagram is where they're hanging out. You can drive that awareness back up and increase your repurchase rate. Um, obviously, it's a lot cheaper through like SMS or mm-hmm. email, but. All of the platforms working in tandem, uh, you're going to see a lot more repeat customers. Yeah. If you remember in the old days, Chase, you know, um, you know brand marketers and um, before the concept of performance marketers used to say, well, you know, um, people need to see our ad in at least five different locations, right? Before they'll actually kind of engage with us as a brand or product. And that's kind of what we're saying is do your email marketing, do your SMS marketing, um, you know, do all of the things that you're doing. Um, but it's not going to cost you an awful lot to also talk to those customers and be very specific with them that this is a product message and maybe an offer for you um, that you've seen in multiple different um, spaces. Um, and you're trying to again interrupt them because they know your brand, right? They're ready for you. They're open to you. And now you're trying to say, hey, jump back in here. Um, and you're repeating the same message in multiple places. So yeah. Um, yeah. 
I, I completely agree. At the agency, we, we consider it two different uh, approaches. So you've got your, your paid media approach is a, a, basically, you know, you, you got your Facebook, your Instagram, your Google, Pinterest, TikTok, whatever advertising you're doing. Mm-hmm. So that is, there's a whole strategy behind that. And then you've got your retention marketing strategy, which is more on like, okay, you have their email, their SMS, push notifications or address if you're sending physical mailing stuff. Like, you know, there are, while they work in tandem, they are kind of separate strategies. So you kind of need to approach them both. Uh, in in the proper way because you know what you're gonna say to someone who is vaguely familiar with your brand versus what you're gonna say to somebody that has purchased a product or two are two completely different styles of copywriting. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and um, what we see is um, just from a practical perspective, you know, platforms like Klaviyo and Mailchimp, um, they now integrate nat- natively with the big ad platforms. So we're increasingly seeing people with their, um, you know, their email lists, um, which are probably segmented, as you say, based on recency and frequency kind of models of, you know, um, these lapsed customers are like my most valuable customers. Um, those mailing lists now exist in parallel in the ad platforms and the same styles of messaging, um, are being used with the same offers and, you know, same creative as in, as in the email kind of and other channels. Um, and obviously the important thing there to think about is, um, how we measure and, and compare what we're doing there with what we're doing for, you know, as we're nurturing kind of unknown audiences or new consumers into our funnel. They're different, right? And you can't, um, it's a bit like, you know, brand search, right? We got to put that into a different bucket and not mix it up with the kind of prospecting and the generic work we're doing, right? Because, they're different, right? Um, and the efficiencies you get from talking to your existing customers is completely different than, um, you know, when you're out and trying to nurture people through kind of through a funnel. So, um, but yeah, very like increasingly we're seeing so many, um, brands, I say integrating all of their different data sources into one. So getting that data layer working as efficiently as possible is key. Absolutely. Um, so my next question was around, uh, earlier we talked a bit about kind of return on ad spins and how they vary at different parts of the funnel. Um, and the example you used was, you know, retargeting, uh, well, middle of the funnel, you could maybe see a, um, a 10x return or a blended would be a 10x return where middle would, it'd be a little bit less at 5x and bottom would be a lot higher and maybe a 20x and then your blended would be around 10. Um, what I wanted to kind of dive in more is proper expectation settings about return on ad spend, especially yeah. in e-commerce. Cause I know you were just pulling numbers kind of out of thin air, but I don't want people yeah. to get into the game and expect those numbers is really what I want to talk about. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah, people, people always want to know, right? They want to ask the question and, um, come at it from a couple of ways, right? Jay? So, so one is, what do you need to make, right? <laughs> so on, you know, and um, what's the margin your business is running at? Um, and increasingly, we're trying to shift the conversation away to customer acquisition costs, to customer acquisition costs, right? Because if you've got your, you know, your website is converting at a certain level and then your CRM and your, you know, your customer lifetime values and your ability to retain customers, um, then it shifts the conversation away from, the ROAS on one single purchase, right? Um, and, and that's, you know, that's where we want to get to. Um, and especially subscription brands, you know, they have that nail. They know that like 30% of my customers will, you know, will jump into subscriptions or be repeat customers. So therefore I'm willing 
to have a lower ROAS return on ad spend on that initial purchase because I know I'm going to, that customer's going to stay with me and be loyal and I'll, I'll, I'll recoup. I think what I find is that most e-commerce brands have an expectation of somewhere between five and 10 is, is a reasonable, seems like a reasonable expectation. And then we get into, well, it, it depends, right? Because it depends on the, the purchase price of your product, how big your audience is, you know, and it's, it's so for you and I to um, toss it around and say, um, what, what should we be setting the expectation at? Right. It's going to be hard. Right. So, um, I'll give you one example, right. And, and show you how, how wild it can be. Um, yeah. but then ultimately it settles. Right. So, um, uh, a regional bookstore, right. Um, and, um, with kind of, uh, probably 20, just over 20 kind of bookstores in, in, in a region of like five, six million people. Okay. And, um, They've been doing Google kind of bottom funnel activity in Google and actually getting, um, uh, online getting kind of 35 to 40 X ROAS. Okay. And you think, wow. Okay. Amazing. Um, and so look, we, we want to do Facebook and Instagram. Um, and you know, this is where our expectations are. So I was like, well, okay, well, that's not going to happen, but actually in middle funnel, um, because they had done nothing, they, they had, there was, there was a latent market kind of appetite and it was a regional, so kind of relatively well known brand in the region. And um, launching mid funnel actually kind of kicked on to about 25x ROAS straight away, right? So driving just traffic campaigns, doing lots of kind of, um, you know, highlighting value prop, et cetera, of their offering. Um, and then the lower funnel stuff actually scaled towards between 45 and 50. Right. For, for that initial bump of maybe kind of four to six weeks. Um, and of course, then it settles down and it's kind of probably overall tracking at somewhere between kind of like eight to 10, right? Overall. Right. So, 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 so you get this initial bump, especially if you haven't been active in the market and um, there's some level of familiarity or there's a latent kind of market appetite. And that's for like, think about a book and you're competing with kind of major kind of online retailers in that space, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, so that, that's, that's how great it can be, right? But on the other end, and of course, everybody's, and most people are down, you know, um, looking to get a five or a 10 on an initial purchase. Um, and, uh, um, and then increasingly actually happier with lower if you're, if you know that you're requiring a customer and you're able to retain that customer over time. So, so, so somewhere in there, right, is the spectrum. Um, I don't know if that's, if, if, if you concur or am I obviously I'm setting expectations way too high, right? <laughs> with starting with a 25 X Ross. Yeah. Well, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head with it is all over the plate place. And mm-hmm. then the one thing that I guess I need to highlight here too, is like each of these numbers don't exist in a bubble. Uh, you know, when people are like, Oh, our return needs to be above 10. I'm like, okay, well, stop prospecting like that's an easy way to do Mm -hmm. it so there's you got to understand the whole picture to really and like you said it goes back to what are your goals um so you know are you trying to just sell out of inventory or are you trying to grow the business and grow the customer base and 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 scale things uh so it does go back to like what are your goals as a business and uh what you mentioned earlier with the bookstore you know we've seen similar results of just crazy returns for brands that haven't been doing anything and then they start start getting into the paid game but what i do need to highlight here is these aren't startups. These are brands that have data to back it up. Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, no, agreed. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, so you, when you're talking about a, like a bookstore, what I'm saying is there's, there's already brand awareness and there's a latent appetite for engaging with this brand. They just never did the Facebook, Instagram stuff before, right? So people know the brand. Um, and so what they were doing was tapping into an existing audience. So you, yes, you can get that bump. Um, for startups, yeah, like it does. You know, there's a lot more work to do. So what we would we would look at with startups is um, very often like where, where's your core conversion rate on your website? You know, who are those audiences that are converting? Um, now let's go find those, right? And let's start small and let's build out from there to be getting, you know, a two to five x ROAS early doors is good, right? And very often what you find is people are in that space is working. Right. Um, and, uh, and now they want to know how do I, how do I grow that and how do I scale it and with the same level of efficiency? And, um, it maybe comes back to maybe we're getting caught up because I'm getting the numbers, but it's about, yeah. And you said it there is the difference between is it short term goals you've got? You're trying to clear out some kind of inventory and you got a really strong price proposition. You just want to kind of empty the warehouse or is it, are you doing some, you're looking at longer term brand building. So there's the, you know, the marketing effectiveness topic, right? Which, um, we talk about quite a bit, but it's, it's Les Bennett and Peter Field and a lot of research. It says, look, if, if the right, what's the right balance between, um, it's called an upper funnel activity where you're brand building and generating kind of a lot of, um, awareness with your, of your brand and engaging with your brand purely on a brand level, and then the performance marketing side. And the research that they would have done over a number of years would suggest that for for achieving those long-term sales objectives, you've got to be spending 60% in upper funnel and 40% in lower funnel, right? Now, very few startups or e-commerce brands, full stop, are willing to invest 60% of their ad dollars in long-term brand building because we don't have enough usually enough cash or time to kind of do that so so what we're trying to do is to help people move from where they're spending maybe 90 to 100 percent of their activity of their money in lower funnel um, and actually start moving it kind of further up the funnel um, and if possible having some budget set aside for experimentation so once people get settled in use i'm sure see this as well you know, they're comfortable in the Google world and what they're getting. They're comfortable in the, um, the Facebook, Instagram world. Maybe they're also comfortable in the Microsoft Bing world. And now they're putting five to 10% of their spend into maybe TikTok or Snap or Pinterest or maybe Quora or some other platform where they think their audience might be. Um, because that might help to again broaden out their market efficiently and because maybe those platforms aren't as competitive as the ones they're on at the moment absolutely i think the experimentation budget is is once you can get to the point where you can afford that it's really interesting because Hmm. seeing you know acquisition cost cost per channel is very surprising um you know we we see uh, insane returns on pinterest for some of our women's brands and it's just because nobody not as many people are advertising on there versus facebook and instagram um and it, it is kind of that simple at times is you just got to yeah, step yeah, yeah. back and think about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And like the, these, 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 they're, they're auctions, right? So, so um, we're bidding for eyeballs or for humans to interact with our brands. And um, if there's not as many people bidding, you know, for the audience we're chasing, then that's the opportunity. Um, and um, yeah. And we find like, you're yeah, right. Pinterest is, is probably an underappreciated platform 
for e-commerce for certain cohorts, right? Especially for a lot of direct-to-consumer brands where they're creating new and interesting products. Um, and uh, I think how Pinterest describe it is it's, um, you know, it's the home of unbranded search, right? I'm looking for a new, you know, pin cushion to a new um, dog toy to something. And I'm relatively specific, right? In terms of what mm-hmm. I'm searching for in that platform, but I'm not generally not searching for specific brands, right? Because mm-hmm. it's it's not what you do there. Um, so it creates a great opportunity for discovery um, of of your brand in that platform. And then the job is to nurture them through, right? Um, and make sure they don't then jump elsewhere um, and start price shopping, you know, with somebody else who's doing your, your who's selling the same product as you. So. Um, so it's a great place we find to actually go find those people who are in market and then nurture them kind of through the funnel. Absolutely. So uh, I, I do want to quickly touch on the actual product Optally a little bit more and just what what would be like uh, the best fit as far as like a listener out there? What kind of bucket would they fall under and, and to see some decent results from partnering up with you guys? Most of our our clients who are jumping onto our software, they're um, they're probably shopping advertising on Facebook and Instagram and on Google, maybe on YouTube and a little bit of display advertising. Um, what our what our platform does is helps to simplify the complexity when you're advertising across multiple platforms, right? So, um, and what what we've done is we've taken the stri- the funnel strategy we've been talking about and we've baked it into the software. So, so what our platform would do is, um, you connect your ad accounts, connect your analytics. For example, your Google Analytics account, um, and our platform will start to organize um, all of your ad campaigns into different stages of the funnel based on the, the objectives and the bid strategies that you have in place. So it'll give you a suggested structure. It'll show you how much you're investing at different stages of the funnel and the different types of results you're getting. Um, and then our optimization engine um, looks at the ad platform data. So, hey, what does Facebook say um, that it's delivering? But then also what does your analytics platform? So, for example, in, in um, uh, Google Analytics, you know, Facebook doesn't know that this consumer also saw an ad in YouTube and, and also on, on, Facebook, on Google and clicked and bought um, uh, or clicked on something in an email, etc. But analytics has that data. It has that kind of attribution going on, especially in the e-commerce reporting. And um, so we blend the data through. So we take the data from analytics for that campaign and we take what the, the platform itself is saying. And then our platform starts to give some recommendations about where to invest. And um, so this platform is more likely to drive or this campaign, this ad campaign is more likely to drive direct results. Whereas this one is a little bit more indirect, right? So the investment level might be kind of different there. Um, so typically um, our clients are probably managing their ad spend on Facebook and Google themselves internally. Um, they're scaling up and the pressure point comes when they want to, and they're, they're very often good at one platform. So you're maybe good at Facebook or maybe good at Google. Um, and uh, they're looking to kind of to scale up. Advertising is not keeping up with the growth of the business. And what we, what our platform does is it gives them 
um, a place to see everything uh, from the different platforms in one environment, in one dashboard, and then starts to give recommendations and suggestions, which they can action um, through our platform, or they can say, actually, no, I'm okay with what I'm doing here, but um, I'm, you know, and, and, and they can, they can choose to ignore it as well. So you don't have to implement the action. Um, so it's really for the, um, a scaling e- kind of e-commerce direct to consumer brand. Um, what we find is that, um, uh, founder led direct to consumer brands in particular tend to, uh, want more control internally. They want to have retained a transparency in terms of what's happening. Maybe a little bit micromanaging kind of what's going on. So they're looking for tools that they can plug in, um, you know, in, into their stack and that help them with that. And, um, uh, so, so that, that's where we, we, we kind of slot in is really supporting the, the internal teams as they're trying to scale their advertising. Absolutely. So you said supporting the internal team. So what I want to ask here is like, if we don't have any internal expertise, this doesn't replace, you know, the the need for a a subject matter expert, like on team or a contractor to be helping out, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it it works hand in in glove. So, so usually, um, the person who uses our platform is, comfortable in Facebook and or Google worlds, right? So, so usually, and, and they're still building the campaigns in there. We're an optimization solution. So you're, you're, you're living in the Facebook and Google, Google world, building your campaigns, aligning your audiences with your creative, et cetera. And where Optily comes in is gives you a dashboard where you can see everything across the different platforms together, right? Because that's hard. Like that's either spreadsheets or maybe it's data studio, or maybe if you're in, in Power BI or Tableau, right? So it can get very complex very quickly pulling everything together. And then what we do that's quite a bit different is we're kind of, we're very agnostic, right? We don't care whether you're spending money on Facebook or Google, right? Um, we're looking at your campaign based on your goals. So my goal is to um, maximize visibility right at the top of the funnel. So here's all the campaigns from across the different ad platforms that are doing that. Now, how are they working together? You know, which is most cost effective, which is driving the highest click through rates. And between those campaigns, where should I be spending more time and money? Okay. So I sometimes describe it as it's a bit like in, if you're in the Facebook world, we treat the different campaigns and the different platforms as if they were ads, ad sets within a Facebook campaign, right? And if you're in the Google world, then it's probably like, yeah, just keep different keyword groups, right? So we're kind of, we don't care that it's Facebook and Google or it's Instagram or whatever, right? And so we're trying to just break down the barriers between the big platforms and actually kind of have them playing off each other a little bit. Um, hey, I'm getting better value from, from you know, this YouTube campaign today. Grant, I'll put a bit more money into that today. Um, I'll take a little bit of money from Instagram and um, because, hey, it's not, doing, it's not doing so good today. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad that you kind of highlighted that because I feel like um, some founders are always looking for shortcuts, especially with marketing strategy or just advertising in general. And I really want to just harp on like, there's nothing that will, that will help if you don't understand the core principles of it. Like you, you still need to have that understanding before you can make it work for you. So uh, I appreciate you diving in there and kind of laying, laying down the law, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, no, actually, I, so I, I do that the same. I think probably as, as you probably when, if I'm speaking with a founder or marketing um, director who's, who's interested in our product, um, before I go talk about the product or show them the product, I have one slide and we talk about strategy and we talk about funnels and we make sure that, that this makes sense, right? Um, and if people don't buy into that, 
and the need to invest, then, you know, um, then it's, it's, we're probably not the right solution for them. Absolutely. So you have an offer that you wanted to share with our audience today. I'll let you kind of give the pitch before we go here. Yeah. So look, our, our software is, um, it's self-service. There's a 14 day free trial. You can simply connect within kind of two to three minutes, connect your Facebook ads and your Google ads and your analytics accounts and you get kind of free insights. Um, so for uh, all of your listeners, um, we're delighted to also add in, you know, an extra 15% discount on their first year with us and, um, and a free one hour kind of ad strategy consultation with one of our ad strategists. Um, so the, the, the link will be in the show notes and, um, yeah, I'd like to offer that to all of your listeners. Absolutely. Brendan, thanks so much for coming on our show. And I, I can't wait to talk to you next week and, and jump on yours. Yeah. Looking forward to it, Chase. Thank you for your time. All right. I can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their knowledge and journey with us. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our own business. You can find all the links in the show notes. Make sure you head over to honestecommerce.co to check out all of the other amazing content that we have. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review. And obviously, if you're thinking about growing your business, check out our agency at electriceye.io. Until next time.